So Money Episode 557, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It's Friday, which means it's all about you this day. We're going to cover your financial questions, everything from Roth IRAs to investing in your education, credit card debt, and the benefits of living at home with mom and dad. As always, our friend Sophia joins us with all the questions. Sophia, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. What's anything new happening in your world and so many moments to, uh, to share with us? I maxed out my Roth IRA for this year. Woohoo! Good so job. It's been awesome, yeah. And then I I did a few other things with my financial planner as well. So I'm feeling good about my finances. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you have a financial planner in your 20s that's pretty that's pretty rock star of you. I have to say. Thank you. Um, yeah, my parents were nice enough to set me up with theirs. And you know, the woman I work with is really great. And she says that I'm actually not one of her youngest clients. She has a, a couple what? others, but I am, I am amongst some of the, the, you know, the younger clients that she does have. So <laughs> I like to hear when financial planners cater to the younger generation, because, you know, I think it just shows that they think long-term and they're not just after you for your money, because clearly when you're in your twenties, you're not in your prime earning years yet, you know, right. but it's nice to know that they're, they are investing their, a portion of their business to focusing on millennials because you guys are the future. And speaking of the future, we have some people here who are concerned about Retirement. Jennifer has a question about her Roth IRA, right? Yeah. So she and her husband have a combined income close to or maybe at the threshold of where you can open a Roth IRA. So her income is variable. So she's not sure if they would be over the limit by the end of the year. So she's wondering if they open a Roth IRA and their household income ends up exceeding the limits, would they be penalized? So she keeps talking about we and with a Roth IRA, the IRS does not allow couples to open up a joint IRA, Roth IRA, just FYI, in case that's where her line of thinking was. Jennifer, you and your husband can each separately open up Roth IRAs. And just to give you a little sense of the income threshold. So there are income limits for people who file their taxes jointly Marry couples. And there are also income limits for everybody else. But in this case, because she said she's married, I'll tell you that if you file your taxes as married filing jointly, your income must be less than $184,000 to contribute up to the limit, which this year is $6,500. If your income is between $184,000 and $194,000, you cannot contribute up to that limit. The contribution is reduced. And the IRS has calculators on their website, irs.gov, to help you figure out what that reduced contribution limit would be based on how much you make. So keep that in mind. And this is income that you make separate from your husband. And it's not a combined income. It is your individual income. So if you think that you're going to make less than $184,000, then you can safely contribute to a Roth IRA. And the other thing too that you shouldn't be aware of is that you can contribute to a Roth IRA up till April 15th. And so 
you might be, for example, this is the 2017 tax season. We are currently in 2017. So, when you in 2018, you'll be filing your taxes for this year, 2017. You have until April 15th, 2018 to contribute to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA and have that be counted towards your 2017 taxes. So by then, hopefully you will know whether or not you made enough to still qualify for the Roth IRA. And at that point, you can contribute the entire amount. So my advice is maybe to save the money in a separate account, like a savings account that you anticipate putting into the Roth IRA, but then doing it all in a lump sum, maybe next year, once you actually know how the year panned out. Does that make sense? Because the truth is, yes, if you contribute to a Roth IRA and you end up making too much, you might have to take that money out. You won't get penalized. I have actually had this happen to me one year. I contributed to a Roth IRA and then I got a book deal and a bonus and I wasn't expecting either of those things on top of my salary. And so I was disqualified, obviously, to contribute to that Roth IRA. Even though I had already put money in, I called the bank, explained to them what happened and they took it out. Fortunately, that money hadn't been invested yet. It was just a basically a cash contribution that I'd made. And that's something else to consider too. It's like you can actually contribute to the Roth IRA, just keep the money in cash for the time being, don't invest it. And then that way, if you end up making too much, you can take out that contribution penalty free and you don't have to pay taxes on any gains because you didn't have any gains. Does that make sense? So really it's like two options here. You can wait till next year, closer to April 15th to kind of figure out how your income panned out for 2017. If it was within the threshold, then you can safely contribute to a Roth and do that within the early months of 2018. Or you can contribute now but just don't invest the money, just keep it in cash. So in the event that you do end up over earning, you can take it out and not risk any penalties and you can work with the bank to help you transfer that back into your bank account. And so good question. And again, doesn't matter what your combined income is, it's just your income and only you can have a Roth IRA and only your husband can have a Roth IRA. You can't have a joint Roth IRA according to the IRS. All right, I should get an honorary degree in like, accounting or something. <laughs> I I will tell you I was terrible at accounting in college even though like, you know, taxes is part of the accounting course. I took accounting in the summer because I thought it'd be easier. I thought summer courses, and traditionally summer courses are a little more relaxed, but not this particular accounting class. I ended up getting a B, but it wasn't without a lot of effort. <laughs> it was t- I thought it was going to be like an easy breezy A. Nope. And that was a big credit course. So that that hurt my GPA a little bit. But anyway, sidebar. Next is Isabel. And she has a few questions regarding her finances. Let's tackle the first one, which has to do with her 401k. All right. So she's 34, single and making $41,000 a year. She works as a receptionist in a medical office. And her boss offers a 401k, which she started putting money towards two years ago. And now she has $8,000 saved there. She believes he offers a company match, but so far she's only seen that he puts $1,000. She contributes $200 a month, so she's wondering, should she contribute more? Okay, so the first thing I would say to Isabel is learn the 401k policy. If your boss actually does offer a match, figure out what that is. Make sure that he is committed to that. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, you're 34, and assuming that you have been saving into a retirement account since your 20s, 
and that you have some retirement savings and that this is just, you know, an ongoing thing for you that continue to put 10, 12% into a 401k, including the match is great. So while I don't know percentages, I know she says she's contributing 200, her boss is putting in a thousand, she's got about 8,000 so far. It doesn't sound like you're doing as much as you probably quote unquote should be doing in order to keep track with just how much you'll probably need in retirement at 65 in the next 30 years. So do what you can to get to that 10% as, as much as possible every year. So that for you, I mean like, okay, so that's like $4,000 a year. But if your boss is putting in a thousand, then maybe you only have to do three. And to combine together, you're getting to that $4,000 a year contribution. And then once you end up making more money, obviously put more towards retirement. Does that make sense? So hopefully that answers your first question. And then she has another question about traditional versus Roth. So her question is, she opened a traditional IRA, but now she's not sure if that was the best choice over a Roth IRA. Her plan was to switch it to a Roth once she hit 55 so she can skip the taxes is what she mentioned. Okay. So she's making 41000 a year. She definitely qualifies for a Roth IRA. I would do a Roth IRA. She's got a 401k already at work, which allows her to reduce her taxable income today and then pay taxes on the contributions in retirement. And you know, we always talk about diversifying your tax exposure in retirement. A Roth IRA does the opposite to contribute money today and not get the tax benefit today, but get the tax benefit in retirement, withdrawing that money basically tax-free in retirement. Now, what she's talking about is maybe doing a Roth conversion, but that's in 20 years. And I don't know if the Roth conversion, it's a new law and it could change. So betting on that is not necessarily a good plan. And the other thing to keep in mind is that, yes, People love a Roth conversion because the withdrawals are tax-free in retirement. But once you do that conversion, you do have to pay income tax on the amount that you convert that year. So it's not like you're just, you know, able to never pay taxes ever. You have to pay income tax on the amount that you convert. And then from there, once whatever you ad additionally add to that Roth in retirement, you can withdraw tax free. So just keeping that in mind. So I would do a Roth, you know, I think that might be a good way for her to diversify her tax exposure in retirement. And because she's young and makes enough to do so, take advantage of it. the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24 7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you, and it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60 day risk free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. 
All right. Alexandra, she's a financial planner. She's asking me a question. (laughs) It's a question about her education. So right now she's working as a financial planner for a firm that's known nationwide. And she's been working with them for the past six months. She loves what she's doing and she wants to start taking courses towards pursuing this CFP. But her district manager likes to see that you've been with the company for a year and are on track with meeting your annual goals before they approve for tuition reimbursement. So she's wondering, should she maybe take one class, pay for it by herself to get the process started? Yeah, she could do that. I mean, it's I'm a firm believer in investing in yourself. It's great that her company has this tuition reimbursement plan, but of course, it sounds like there are some restrictions to it. I would talk to your district manager and just say, totally understand where you're coming from. I have six more months to hopefully prove to you that I'm very serious and I'm hitting my targets and I'm worthy of this tuition reimbursement, you know, but I'm really eager to get the process rolling and was thinking about taking a class and paying for it out of my own pocket. Would this be something that perhaps in a year or in six months rather you could reimburse me for if you feel I deserve it? And if not, that's fine. But I just wanted to let you know kind of like where where I am. So I think it's important to keep that transparency with your employer. Like let them know that if you're going to do this, you plan on doing this, you're going to pay for it out of pocket. And whether or not they will reimburse you is something you can hopefully negotiate with them. But be more certain too that if in six months you want to continue taking classes, that they are going to, you know, actually fulfill their end of the commitment here. And maybe talk to some other colleagues who have gone through a tuition reimbursement with the company and ask them how the process was. You know, was it easy? Did they give them a lot of hassle? And I totally get where your employer is coming from because if they're going to invest in your education, they want to make sure that you're happy there, that you plan on staying there. They don't want to basically pay for your education and then you leave because that doesn't really help them out. So they're obviously being very conservative about it. So, But I I really respect and love hearing that you want to get this rolling and you're ambitious and you should do what you want to do. And if it's just one class and you can afford it, great. And there's also the lifetime learning credit, which might be able to help you save some money on the cost of this course. Ultimately, it's a credit that the IRS provides For people who are pursuing undergrad, graduate, and professional degree courses, including like this CFP course that's going to improve your job skills. And eligible taxpayers can qualify for up to two to four thousand dollars. This could help to offset some of the costs of that course. So keep that in mind as well. Alexandra. All right. Bobby, love that name. Is that a man or a woman? I think it's a she. Okay. I'm not what's sure. what's on what's on our money mind? So she has two credit cards with twelve thousand dollar limits and she wants to have a zero balance on both of the cards by the end of this year. And then once the cards are paid off, she wants to know what your recommendation is for the credit limits. She says that one card is what they use for everyday expenses and pay off at the end of each month, and then the other one is one that she's had for a long time and has been working towards having a zero balance on. She's wondering, should she lower the spending limit on one or maybe both of the cards? I don't think she should lower the spending limit on any of the cards. You know, lowering the spending limit, which is basically your credit line, actually hurts your credit score. 
So I wouldn't do that. I mean, what's the point? If anything, I would say raise the limit <laughs> on the card that is either for her everyday expenses, even though she's paying it off every month, it's nice to have a little bit of a cushion, an added cushion, but even more so perhaps for the other card where she is still carrying debt. And I think, yeah, that might be the one I would raise the limit on because essentially what you're doing with that card is you're lowering the debt to credit ratio. And that is good for your credit score. So I would call up the credit card company for the card on which you are working to get out of debt on. And hopefully you've had a good run where you have been paying more than the minimum. You've been on time with your payments. If you have a pretty good credit score, you could probably qualify for additional credit, uh, basically an extension of the limit that you have on that card. So if you have, let's say $6,000 on it, maybe they could increase it to 10,000 or 15,000. Or if you have 12,000 on it, maybe they can extend it to 15 or 20,000. And this is not so that you, Bobby, can then go and run up more debt. Obviously, it's more so that you can, well, one, maybe when times get tough, have a little bit more access to credit. Not that I would encourage that, but you know, who knows what happens in life. But more importantly, this is going to help to increase your credit score. I do this. This is actually something that I've talked about on the Today Show as a kind of a quick fix to your credit score. It only works for people who have good credit and have been paying their bills on time to call up your credit card company and say, can you raise my credit limit? That sounds counterintuitive. Like if you're trying to get out of debt, why would you raise your credit limit? But I'm assuming here also that you're going to be responsible with that credit. You're not going to be actually using it. It's just more to have it there to reduce your debt to credit ratio, which is 30% of your credit score. And the people in this country with the highest credit scores, people who have 750, 780, 800 credit scores, their debt to credit ratio is less than, I believe, 6% at any given time during the month. So if they have a, you know, a thousand dollar credit limit, then they're only using like 60 bucks <laughs> off of that thousand dollars, which sounds crazy. But the point is the higher credit limit the lower your debt to credit ratio could potentially be. So I wouldn't reduce spending limits. I would raise spending limits. And that may sound weird, but hopefully I explained <laughs> why it works in your favor. And good luck, Bobby. I think that it's great that you're focusing on your debt. You know, I think the question came from a good place, but I think you probably weren't thinking about the counterintuitiveness of why having you know, a higher spending limit is actually a good thing. All right. We've got a 25. We've got, a, we've got basically your clone here, Tracy, right? <laughs> yeah. She's 25 and she's got a question about what she should do, where she should live. Tell us what's her situation. Yeah. So she, as you mentioned, she's 25 and she lives at home with her parents and she has a daily commute right now, totaling three hours. She's thinking of moving to the city to be closer to work. And in the burbs where she lives now, she needs a car to get around and her car is ready to be scrapped. So either she'll have to buy a new one out of her savings, which is currently around $12,000. But if she moves, she'll be able to put away $700 a month in savings. And if she stays home for another year or two, she'll save $1,200 a month, but will wipe out her current savings to buy a new car. So she says, if I move, I'll save less a month, but I'll be able to use my current savings to start a retirement fund and pay toward my student loan debt of 6000 So what should she do? Yeah. So, oh gosh, this commute, three hours. Sounds like she lives in like the New Jersey area. <laughs> yeah. New York. It's my guess. Commute. Typically, I'd say 
living at home with your parents is the biggest cost savings, but I get it. She has to get a new car and that's going to be an additional expense. If there's a way around that, Tracy, to not have to get a new car, to use public transportation, to get a carpool going, I mean, that would be hopefully a way to find a happy medium, right? Where you can stay home and save and not have to incur auto expenses to the extent of having to get a new car and simultaneously still save, simultaneously still fulfill retirement and pay off student loans. Oh, that's a lot. But it sounds like she's done the math and it sounds like moving might actually be a better use of her time and also a better way for her to actually, you know, get ahead in her financial life. If you're going to move out of your parents' house, you know, you got to be really careful about how much you're going to spend on rent. And I would say get a couple of roommates, even if your commute is an hour away now from your job, instead of 10 minutes, that might still be a way to, you know find a more affordable housing. But if you actually have done the math and believe that moving will enable you to start saving for retirement and pay off those loans, and you can't currently do that at home because you have to get a new car, then I think you know what you have to do. The only way I would see staying at home with your parents would work, allow you to save for retirement, erase your student loans, is if you found a way around this car issue. Can your parents lend you their car? Do they have a second car? Can you find like a really cheap lease on a car? I don't love leasing cars, but sometimes if the monthly payment is just, you know, $300 a month for a couple of years, which is maybe all the time you need to really be living at home anymore, that could be a way around it, you know, instead of plunking down, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for a new car. Do you have a friend at work you could carpool with? So, you know, if there's a way around that transportation issue from living at home, then living at home would probably be the most cost efficient thing. But then again, you know, that three hour commute, that's got to, that's got to hurt. It does. (laughs) That's got to hurt. And I don't know if it's the kind of commute where she's driving. So she's not even like on a train where she could read or do work or do something more productive with her time. She's literally driving and stuck in traffic. So that's not a great use of your time. So if you move to the city and you don't have that three-hour commute anymore, or you move closer to your job and you don't need that three-hour commute anymore, I would say find really exciting projects for yourself. Imagine that you got just you got three hours back a day. That's how many hours a, a year? That's like over a thousand hours a year that you're gonna have to do something else with, which is exciting. You know, gosh, you could like learn a new language. You could go travel. You could bring in an extra income stream, you know, and you wouldn't even have to use all those thousand hours. So be very thoughtful and strategic about how are you going to manage your time now that you're closer to work to actually make more use of your time. And so good luck, Tracy. I know. I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive. I always thought that like living home with your parents was like the best way to save. But if you're driving and you have to get a new car and it's like, oy, that could really offset the savings that you're making by living at home. So good luck, Tracy. Let us know what you decide to do. And thank you to Bobby and Alexandra and also Isabel. And of course, Jennifer, for your question about Roth IRAs. Hope you guys have some more direction now. And as always, you know how to reach me, right? Go to so moneypodcast.com, click on ask for our news. You can leave a question via 
audio or you can write in your question and we will add it to our Friday episodes. Thank you, Sophia. Always. And congratulations on your maximization <laughs> Thank you. of retirement. And it's always good to know that, you know, millennials are getting the financial love that they need. Well, how and, could I not practice what oh. you preach? <laughs> yeah, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? It would. It would be very awkward. If you were like in a lot of debt, <laughs> you, were, you were spending like crazy. Yeah, we'd have to have a little conversation. Definitely. There would have to be a, so many interventions. <laughs> <laughs> well, anywho, everyone, have, hope you have a great weekend, everybody. And I really, again, appreciate the questions and hope your weekend is so money. Oh,